You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Tonight, we take a pause from the uh, Shepherd series. So we've been in a series up to this point uh, in the semester called The Shepherd. We've been in Psalm 23. We've gone through three verses in three weeks. Uh, but tonight, we're going to do a little bit of something different because I want us to talk about the church for a little bit uh, in light of having this ministry expo tonight and trying to shine a light on some ministries in our church and just try to emphasize, um, you know, church and our church and more of it than just a Wednesday night. You know, it felt like a good night for us to sit and just talk about the church for a little bit. So uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. And specifically, I want us to consider not just what the church is, but what the church could be, uh, what our experience with church could be. And uh, to do that, we're going to open up to the first summary statement that we have in the Bible about the state of the church uh, when it first began. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, So you can go ahead and be turning there. We're not going to read it just yet. I just want to tell you that the text that we're about to read follows directly after Peter preaches the sermon uh, at Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the believers that were gathered together, uh, about 120 in all, and they start to proclaim uh, the gospel and proclaim the truth in lots of different languages by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up and declares the truth really clearly and Uh, and boldly, and the Lord works through it, and uh, the people ask, what are we supposed to do with this word that you've given us? And he says, repent and believe. And uh, it's interesting, if you look at verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, it says, this is what happened. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people received salvation in one day, and were added to the number of believers. So at this point, you're a little over 3,000 people who make up the early church, that first iteration of the church. And that's what we're going to read about in Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're going to read about what it was like for them to experience the church, like what church was, was for them. So we're going to read Acts 2, 42 through 47 uh, together. So starting in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number that day, uh, added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Okay, so they We have to admit that this is a pretty unique time in church history. They were experiencing something that is a little bit unlike anything we've ever experienced. This was the beginning of things, right? And all these people who had come to salvation had witnessed the Holy Spirit come down upon some people and and the speaking in tongues and all this stuff. And they were seeing not only that, but they had received the word from Peter and they themselves had had experienced life change. So they had experienced something amazing and they had experienced it right there together. So they're right there in this. They've all started this thing together as the church. Um, And it was kind of a revival moment that led to their salvation. And so this whole thing is new and exciting. It's new and it's an exciting thing. And they can feel this sense of there's a movement to this thing. And it's groundbreaking. 
something new is happening. Something real is happening. And they, they could feel that and experience that. And they had the disciples who would take on the role of apostles, which are the sent ones, right? And they begin proclaiming the words of God to them. And they're hearing from the people who walked with Jesus for those years in Jesus' ministry. And they're, uh, these are the people who go on to write the New Testament letters. And so they're hearing the word of God come through these disciples. And it really was a unique experience for them. And not only that, was there were wonders and signs that were happening. So miracles. There were things that were just out of the ordinary, just kind of crazy occurrences. And it was the work of the power of the Lord in, in their midst. And, and at this point in time, too, they're kind of all together. They're all experiencing this together. There's one church, one body of believers, albeit a large one, in Jerusalem, right? And they broke up in homes, and they had sort of smaller gatherings and fellowships, but they were one church. And they felt that. They knew that. And they were willing to, you know, it was such a sense of closeness, a sense of something new and radical going on that they were willing to give up what they had and sell what they had in order to give to other people. And so when we look at a passage like this and we start to ask the question, what is it that they had that we're missing? It's really hard to try to parallel and go one for one because it really was a unique time. God was doing a unique thing there at the beginning of the church. Something uh, not totally unlike what he does now, but something that was definitely unique to its own time. And I think we need to admit to ourselves, before we even talk about what could church look like for us, we need to admit that it was something, they, their experience isn't going to be necessarily a one-for-one for, one for us. We can't just say, look, we want to go back and just do everything the way that they did it, because we've got to be honest about the differences in, in our current context. Today, we don't have the apostles. Right? We have the letters of the apostles. We have the Bible. The, the biblical text is finished. It is complete. And so we have preaching and teaching from the Word of God in a similar way. We can be just as devoted to the Word and the Word that came through the apostles as they were. But we don't have the presence of the apostles and the sense of the authority of the apostles. And we don't have the, the signs of wonders, uh, at least not in the same way that maybe they experienced them. Right? And so there's, there's a difference in our experience and part of it was because God had a unique plan for that time in life, or that time in the, in the life of the church, uh, which makes it a little different for us not experiencing what they experienced. And kind of in our culture, and our context, we may not see all the same amazing works. He's still just as much at work today. It just doesn't look as maybe obvious as it did to them. And so the, not only that, but the church today is all over the place. It's not in one place. These people were all together in one place in Jerusalem at the beginning, and they're all kind of, they knew, hey, this is, this is our group. These are the people that are believers. And now we look around, and, and the church is all over the place. The church is everywhere. Any town you go to, there are lots of little churches, right? And there are, are different options of churches that you can go be a part of. And we're, we're more mobile now than we've ever been, so that we can drive miles and miles to a church that we want to go to. It's not just the community church that's down the road that is our people that we do life with and we fellowship with in our community, but we can drive 30 minutes to an hour to a bigger church or something that offers something different than these local smaller churches. And so it's a different kind of world that we live in, and we don't often feel what they felt back then for one another. We don't often feel that because they were kind of doing life together right alongside one another in the same place. And man, we, we come in from all these different places to a church, and, and we don't really feel that same sense of closeness with one another that maybe they felt, at least not naturally. You know, and not only that, but they're in, a, they're in this beginning of things, and things are so exciting, and they got the, 
the word coming through the apostles, they didn't have all these different differences of opinions about different things. They didn't have the, the, the scriptures in the form that we have in order to sort of nitpick and get into some particulars and have disagreements about things the way that we do. You know, their lives have been radically altered by hearing the truth and receiving the Holy Spirit. And they experience this change alongside one another. They're mutually bought in with, with each other. So what has happened between then and now? You know, in our experience, how did we get to where we're at? And I think we need to be honest with ourselves again and admit that it didn't, it didn't stay exactly like 42 through 47 for very long. You know, we don't need to romanticize the early church and say, man, look at what they had, and man, we just got to get back to that. We got to get back to everything that they had uh, because even they experienced something different than that original experience along the way. It didn't take very long for issues to get, you know, brought up in the church, differences of opinion. You read the New Testament letters from the apostles, you read them from, from Paul, and you see all kinds of messed up stuff in the church. Because, you know, it, we are people, right? People are involved in churches. And even if they've been redeemed by the Lord, there's still flaws and there's still things that we do wrong. There's still mistakes that we make. There's still things that we misunderstand. And, and man, it, you know, if you for, fast forward this whole thing, you're just going to see a lot of what they began to experience shortly after this, that there's plenty of issues. And on this side of things, we've had plenty of time to come up with disagreements about particulars. And a lot of disagreements have led to divisions in the church and, uh, you know, over scripture texts and doctrines and it has led to different denominations, and, and now there's all these different ways and different things. Maybe you've experienced this before with other people and, like, differences of opinion about things, and you're like, why can't we all just be centered around one thing the way that they were originally? And not only that, but with the church, uh, so many churches around us, so many options and the mobility to go wherever we want to go to church. Y'all drove here, you know, some of y'all from Union, some of y'all from other places, your apartment or whatever, you drove, you know, 10, 15 minutes here. You didn't have to walk to this place. You could have gone anywhere tonight. And the thing is, with all these options and mobility, we now have our pick between churches. And with the, with the options, when we have the pick between churches, churches and their leadership begin to act like businesses where we want to attract people. We want to market ourselves. We want to incentivize coming here. We want to make our programs the best that they can be. And, and it becomes somewhere along the way, less about church and fellowship and more about a good product that we produce. And the churches have become these, you know, products. And, and, and it doesn't, I'm not trying to cast blame on anybody. We just kind of naturally do this when we have so many options and we're looking at it and it just becomes this thing where we begin to view church like it's a product that we have to sell if we're the leaders in the church. And bodies of believers have started to see other churches as competition. Oh, we've, we've got to compete for the people. We've got to get the people to come to our thing, so we've got to be better than these other churches. And so it's not so much about, oh, those are other believers, those are other brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm united with, and we're all doing the same thing together. We're on one mission. Now it's, it's how can we be better than them? How can we make sure that people come to us and not go over there? And it's, it's corrupting, man, and it, and it hurts like it hurts the church, it hurts our, our experience of church, and, and it hurts even leaders, it hurts the people in the churches to think of church this way. And what subtly begins to happen too is it's not just affecting the leaders trying to put things out there for people to be attracted to. It hurts you guys. It hurts the people who are in the churches because then they begin to see their church as a product that they consume 
rather than a body that they're part of. And they look and they go, well, if this is a product that I'm, I can consume, then I can pick and choose between these other churches. And, you know, if I like one thing about one church, I'll go do that thing uh, on one night. And if, if I like something about another church, I can go over here because it's just something that I'm consuming anyways, rather than it being a body that you're part of and something that you're committed to and a people that you belong to. It can very easily become this way. And we start to see it this way and, and miss out, honestly. And this isn't me saying, you know, that the problem is, is all you guys, I'm the problem too. I'm the problem too. I can begin to see other ministries and, and other people who are doing things even outside the church for the Lord. I can begin to see it as competition. And we've got to produce the best, best possible experience for people so they want to keep coming back. And really, it's eroding the opportunity to experience real church like they had it. And, and hear me out, and I'm not trying to call you all out on this, but college is a place and a time and season in life where a lot of people begin to treat church like this. Even if they don't think of church like this, they begin to treat church like this, where they really do start to act as though it's just something they go to get something out of, go to consume from, rather than be a part of, because you know it's a temporary season, and you're just going to go find your way somewhere else anyways in a few years. So you don't really want to plant somewhere. And I think what happens is that in some way we're missing out on the beauty of being part of a church and really being planted into a church. And it's not just college students. We're all guilty of this. And to be honest, I think there's a generation that's ahead of you that really sets you up poorly for this. And I'm not trying to blame any one generation because, honestly, the church has been having issues from the get-go. You know, this early thing, this looks like a perfect picture of what church should be, but they began having issues pretty quickly. Man, wouldn't it have been nice if issues never entered into the church, if selfishness ever entered in? But the thing is, the church has always been made up of people, people who are redeemed but still fail. It's, it's led, by, uh, led by pastors and leaders who are redeemed, and they love the Lord and called with the Lord, but still fail. And man, we're... We, we're broken people in a broken world, and, and man, even though, still, even though redeemed and have the Holy Spirit, we still mess up, and we still can, can start to view church wrongly. <clears throat> but just because there's a bunch of new layers of complexity for us on this side of things 2,000 years later doesn't mean we can't still experience some of what they had. Can't still experience some of this. Doesn't mean that it, the church isn't still God's plan A to reach the lost. It, it doesn't mean that the church isn't still his bride. He loves it and he works through it, even with its shortcomings and all that. Even with the divisions and the struggles and the disagreements, God still works through his church. And there's going to be a day where everything is set right and we're going to experience perfect fellowship with one another. All the believers throughout time, all the believers from all the churches, we're going to experience something perfect. Honestly, the, the fulfillment of everything that 42 through 47 of Acts 2 are pointing toward. But until then, what can we do? What can we do to recapture a little bit of what that church had 2,000 years ago? How can, how can we do that? And here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four things I see in this passage that I think are still within grasp. We don't live in the exact same time, same context or anything, but we can look at what they had and say, look, this is still possible for us. This is still possible for our experience of church. So four things I see in this passage. One, they were purposeful about gathering. They were purposeful about gathering. They did not neglect to meet together. 
you've probably heard the text from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Neglecting to meet together was not a problem for this church in Acts 2. They were together, it says in verse 44. All who believed were together. They were united. And then it says, day by day, they were in the temple together. And then they met in homes with one another. They broke bread together. They had no intention of flying solo with their faith. They had no intention of of trying to do me and Jesus. And I think that can be a real temptation in our day and age too. When we look at the church and we look at problems, no church is perfect. We look out there and we're like, man, I'm just tired of it all. I'm tired of the divisions. I'm tired of the disagreements. I'm tired of older people who can't get their act together. I'm tired of leaders who fail. And we could say, you know what? Forget the church. I just want to do me and Jesus. I don't think it works that way. This early church had what they had because they were committed to gathering together, not because they were trying to do things on their own and run, run this solo. They were regular, regularly together, and they knew what was going on in each other's lives. And because they knew what was going on in each other's lives, they could provide for each other's needs, and they could be there for one another. They could have real community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they did. They provided where there was need. And that meant that they knew what was up with each other. They knew what was up with each other. When they were together, there was this sense of joy. They had glad hearts, it says, as they broke bread together. And here's the thing. I don't think all 3,000 of these people were tight before they started following Jesus. I don't think they were all best friends before they came to Jesus. I don't know where they were all from. They may have been from out of town, and they just stuck in Jerusalem after they uh, put their faith in Christ because Pentecost brought a lot of people to town. I don't know. These people didn't all know each other, though. I think the temptation for us can be, I just want to go where it's comfortable. I want to go where I already know some people, and those are going to be my people, and I'm just going to stick with them because that's what makes me feel comfortable at church. So we go to the college ministry, we go to the church, whatever, where our friends are going, because it's comfortable. We already know those people, and we don't have to put ourselves out on a limb at all uh, because we already know them, they kind of already know us, and, and it's just comfortable. But I don't think these all, people, all these people knew each other going in, and yet they have something amazing, an amazing sense of community and fellowship together because they had one thing, one thing that rose above everything else that, that held them together, and it was their faith, a common faith, and a common experience of having been saved. And that is what held them together. That's what they had in common. And, and life together became a, their way of life. And not only were they intentional about making sure they got together and spent time together, they were also intentional when they were together. You know, you look at verse 42, and it's kind of a list of maybe some of the things they did when they gathered as the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They had fellowship. They had the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread could have meant eating. It could have also included what we would call the Lord's Supper. But man, they, they, they did stuff. They met intentionally with the intention of being the church. They cared about God's word. They cared about each other. And these things are not beyond us today. We look at the church. What do they have? Oh, I wish we had what they had. It's not beyond us to prioritize gathering as the church. It's really not. And, and it's not beyond us to say, you know what, let's settle in at a church Let's settle, settle in with a body of believers and get to know people. Let them get to know us, to be around people in other generations, 
uh, within the church, people who have gone through different experiences than us, people who can share their wisdom with us and we can share our wisdom with them, people who can serve us and we can serve them. It's not beyond us to want to be together and prioritize being together. It's also not beyond us to be purposeful when we're gathered, to do things and, and to be intentional about creating and stirring up a mutual joy and a love for others and a love for good works. There's a second thing that they had that I think that we could still have, that their lives reflected an awareness of God's power. Their lives reflected an awareness of God's power. In verse 43, it says, and awe came upon every soul. And I think what he means by that is, is not just upon the believers, but awe came upon every soul, period. All the people in Jerusalem who could see what was going on, there was a sense of awe about what was happening. It stood out. And so the verse is going to go on to say that there were wonders and signs being done through the apostles. And so they had some, some amazing things that were going on, some miracles that people were, be able, were able to witness, but I don't think that it was just the miracles that really stood out. I don't think it was just that. I think also the people on the outside looking in were looking and seeing this kind of sense of fellowship, and they go, that is not normal. That is not normal. They have experienced something. Something is going on. There's power with them. It wasn't just the signs. It was, it was their, their koinonia, their fellowship. Right? God had begun something remarkable in this group of people, and it had everybody's notice. But for the believers themselves, I mean, they had heard, they'd heard the gospel in a display of power at Pentecost. They had believed. They had received the Holy Spirit. They knew the Holy Spirit's power. They knew the power of their fellowship. And add to that the fact that they had all these miracles going on. And it's, a, it's an amazing combination. It's no wonder that their lives were changed because they had witnessed what only God could do. And they were moved by it. And their lives began to reflect that. Their lives began to become this constant act of worship and praise. And a constant act of fellowship. And they were filled with a sense of joy. They had glad and generous hearts. They were open-handed, in a sense, with what they had. And you see this stuff, and, and God is working in his power through these people, and it, you see it at the end, you know, that people were being out of their number and the favor of the people was upon them. It's because they had that sense of power, that sense of awe about what God was doing, that only, what only God could do. And what is keeping us from that same sense of awe? What's keeping us from that same sense of awe? Why wouldn't our lives reflect just as much confidence in God's power? Is it because we don't see the signs? We don't see the miracles? Is that it? Are we waiting on God to, to do something miraculous before we let him change our lives and experience his power in his Holy Spirit? And I, can I relay a thought that I've been, I've been thinking about a little bit lately? I've got a coffee mug. Okay, some of y'all are big coffee people. I used to be a big coffee person. I'm trying to cut back. But I got a coffee mug that says, new morning, new mercies. New morning, new mercies. And man, when I drink that, that coffee mug, I try to remind myself of the verse that that kind of comes from, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Okay, and I'm sure you've heard this before. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And man, I used to, I used to love, I mean, I always loved that verse, but I used to love it because I thought, man, if yesterday was awful, maybe today will be better. If yesterday was awful, maybe, maybe today will be better because there's new mercies today, right? I can just leave behind what was behind yesterday. I can just go forward with what is today. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way to interpret it, but I, I kind of had an extra layer to that come to my mind here lately. 
Do you remember what God said was going to happen if they ate fruit in the Garden of Eden? He said they'd die. He said, if you, ate, if you eat the fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. If you sin, death will be the result. And then we read in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. Why didn't they die immediately? The only answer I have in my mind is God's mercy. And the fact that every single one of us is still here, is alive, having sinned against the holy God. The fact that any one of us is alive and, and woke up this morning and you're here tonight, it is, an, it is a mercy from God. He has been merciful to us. And add to that the fact that Jesus Christ, God himself, came down, took on death himself for us, and then rose to defeat death so that we might have the, the fear of death removed from us and know that we have a future of eternal life with him, that wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Man, you add, you add that kind of mercy to the mercy we already have experienced from God, just in the, in the everyday gifts, the everyday fact that we wake up. Why wouldn't we have awe at that? Why wouldn't we, we be blown away by the fact that God has, has been so gracious and so merciful to us? We don't need to be looking for signs. We don't need to be looking for anything else that God has done. He has already done something that was miraculous. The fact that you were spiritually dead, and now in Christ you are spiritually alive, is a miracle in and of itself. He has done something amazing in your life if you belong to him. And man, if you don't ever stand in awe at the fact that you are so loved by God, then I'm not sure that you know him. If you don't ever stop and just go, wow, I can't believe you would save me. If you never had that moment where you're like, man, God is just so gracious. He's so good to me. I'm not sure that you really know him. <laughs> I don't need to see extra signs and wonders every day. All I need to know is that the grave is empty and that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. If I know that, I should be in awe at what God has done because that is something only God has done. And his power has been and is still at work in you, so your life needs to reflect that. And it can reflect that. It's possible. It's not beyond you to be able to live out a life that displays God's power. I want to read Romans 6, 12 through 14. You can follow along on the screen with this. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Man, you who belong to Jesus and I'm not assuming that's everybody in here. You may not know where you stand right now. And if you don't, man, you can receive God's grace right now. He's been so merciful to come and die on the cross for your sins, to save you, to have a relationship with you. And if that's happened and you have put your faith in Jesus and you belong to him, you have been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life and his powers at work in you right now, you can live like it's true. And not like sin has some hold over you that you can't break. Or that the power of God working in you can't break. It's not necessarily you who's doing it. It's his, his work in you, right? That is allowing you to overcome temptation. So I don't know what it is for you. What kind of temptation you feel like, man, that just keeps weighing on me. I keep kind of giving in to this thing. Maybe it's like a deceitful spirit or if it's um, that sense of competitive thing or like the competitive nature with other people or a sense of selfishness. Could be any number of things. And you feel like, I can't defeat that temptation. It just keeps getting the best of me. That is not true. 
You are not bound to give in to sin because the power of God is at work in you. So begin to live like it's true. Live out the reality of what God has accomplished in you. That's what they did. That's what they had, and that's what we can have. Because the same spirit that was at work in them is at work in us. Not only that, here's the third thing. They were always ready to give of themselves. Look what Luke tells us about the church here. Verse 42 says they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I mentioned the word a minute ago, koinonia. That's, this is the word behind, the Greek word behind that word fellowship. And it has the general meaning of like a sharing in common. Koinonia is a, is a sharing in common. They were devoted to sharing in common. And I, it wasn't just what they had. Okay, so they sold some of their goods, right? They sold some of the goods. If somebody had a need, they would, they would sell and then they would distribute the proceeds to anybody who had need. That's something that they did. It's part of who they were and, and how they interacted as a body. I don't think they were just sharing possessions, though. When you look at them, the fact that they were together, they were spending all this time together, they were breaking bread in each other's homes, they're going to worship in the temple day by day together. What they were devoted to was the sharing of themselves with one another. It went beyond just what they had. It wasn't about just, just giving up possessions. That was part of it, for sure. But that only grew out of giving themselves to one another. You don't give what you have to other people and do it joyfully with a real spirit of generosity unless you sense some compassion and love for the person that you're doing it for. I think their generosity toward one another grew out of a devotion to sharing themselves with one another. What if our church experience was like that? A real fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ who were really devoted to sharing their lives with one another. Why is that so hard for us? Why do we pull back from that and keep to ourselves, try to do the me and Jesus thing? Why do we go into self-preservation mode? Why do we do that? I think it's because we've learned that living in a broken world and with fallen people means that we might get hurt sometimes. It means that people are going to let us down. I think it's understandable that we don't want to give of ourselves naturally or that, you know, that we want to ha- have a hesitation about being really vulnerable pe- with people. Because what if they break our trust? What if they take advantage of us? What if they step on us and on their way to whatever it is that they want to gain for themselves? It's understandable that we would have a hard time trusting people. And here's the thing. In the church, frankly, not everybody is a believer. When you go to a church, you attend a church, you're going to run into people who, who do take advantage and, and, and do sin, and they don't really know Jesus. And so, so, yeah, they're going to be selfish. And, yeah, they're going to do things that uh, broken, selfish, lost people would do. But you're also going to run into Christians who fail you too. Christian leaders who drop the ball, who sin, and do so sometimes in grievous ways. Sometimes they do it by oversight or misunderstanding. You're also going to run into fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that you trust, uh, trust with something or you're vulnerable with them and they, they go and they talk about it with somebody else. You're going to experience things like that in the church because we're still broken people. You know that about yourself. But listen, we know that People from all walks of life can come together and really experience doing life together because they did it then, and the same spirit that was at work in them then is at work within us now. And a true brother or sister in Christ, even when they you know, mess up our trust, even when they go behind our back, whatever, or they take advantage of us, true brothers and sisters in Christ, we can have real reconciliation with. 
when we can have real relationship and restore relationships and deal with conflict together because we're all people who are connected through Christ. And that's what makes it possible. And unlike the world kind of trust and unlike the world kind of fellowship. Listen, I, I'm not trying to just talk about how y'all need to give in to that, but how you need to be better about koinonia with other people. I would say the same thing to myself. I too hesitate to be vulnerable with people. I, I too hesitate to, to really fully trust people. I too hesitate to put myself out there. I do hesitate to, to even serve other people or to give of what I have. And I'm just, just like you in this. Listen, I think we can really experience what they had. I think we can really experience what God has set aside for us in Christ. We can experience a culture that reflects the gospel that we believe. The gospel that we believe, that God has been so gracious to us, that he's loved us, he's been gentle with us, he's merciful, he's kind, he's forgiving. We can experience that kind of culture as people who have believed in the gospel. A broken people redeemed by a gracious father can be honest with one another, can honor one another. They can sacrifice for one another and can share what they have with one another. They can use their gifts to serve one another and to serve the church. That's why we have this expo tonight. We, we want to show you that there are opportunities to serve this particular body of believers, but also ways to be blessed by this particular body of believers. We want, to, we want you to know that you are wanted here, that we'd love to have you be involved with the, the full-on body of Christ that is Inglewood, right? We want you to know that you can get involved in that and that under, under the grace of our good Father, even if there are things that are messed up about our church, things that, where we fall short, man, this is an opportunity and a place where we can be known, we can know other people, and we can grow in our relationship with Christ. We don't have to. We don't have to bounce around. We don't have to miss out on this. We also don't have to talk about each other behind each other's backs or see each other as competition. We don't have to see other people or churches or ministries as our competition. We don't have to try to walk with Jesus on our own through the struggles that we have, the anxieties that we have, the doubts that we have. We don't have to do that. We can experience real community. It does not have to be those ways. Every single one of us has a role to play in making this a reality. If you want to experience this kind of culture in the church, a real koinonia with people, every single one of us has, has a role to play. We have a choice. We have a choice to make. Will I contribute to that kind of culture or will I not? So we need to ask ourselves some questions like, will we refuse to compare ourselves to others? Will we hold what we have in open hands, ready to give of ourselves if it means somebody else is good and the glory of God? Will we contribute to a culture of honesty and vulnerability by refusing to betray trust or take advantage of anyone by being open and honest about where we fall short and where we need help? Will we look for ways to serve the body around us? <clears throat> to think, how can this body benefit from my time, my abilities, my effort, my connections, even my possessions? Will we? It's not beyond us. It's not beyond us because we have the same spirit that they had. <clears throat> the last thing I want us to think, their faith was contagious. Their faith was contagious. You look at the end of our passage tonight. It says, you know, they were praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
they actually had favor with all of the people. The people in Jerusalem were looking on and like, I think they were looking on and saying, I want some of that. I want what they have. And it's evident that they wanted what they have because people were being added to their number day by day, being saved. I know it's hard to imagine that in our context, our cultural context, that anybody would look on at the church and be like, I want what they got. No, because we have, some beliefs that aren't, we have some beliefs that aren't very popular in our culture, right? So the culture, we wouldn't say, is looking on with tons of favor for us, at least not about everything. And so we might be like, well, you know, that, that was good for them. That was kind of in their cultural moment, but that can't happen today. It may seem unlikely that Christians are going to grow in favor with the world around us, but I think what can happen if we're really living out some of these things is that the world looks on and they see our fellowship and they recognize that something is different. Whether they feel like they're in favor of us or not, they may look on and see what they had. These people's fellowship caught the world's attention. They said, people don't normally treat each other like that. People don't normally do life together like that. People don't normally give of themselves the way that they do. Something is unique about their relationships. They're sincere. They're full of gladness and joy. They have generous hearts with one another, something is different about that. What they have is uncommon. The world around them, Jerusalem was looking on and saying, this is, these people are unhindered in their joy. They're unhindered in their willingness to give to one another. There's something different about them. And the world can look on at us and see the same thing today. It can, does it? And that's the question. You know, their praise of God, their worship when they gather together, but also the echo of the worship, in their day-to-day lives, was compelling. They were bold in their witness in sharing about Jesus with people. And people were added to their number day by day. And the world took notice. Is our fellowship as the church compelling anyone nowadays? Do they look on at us and they, do they see uncommon grace? Do they see uncommon generosity in our midst? Do they see us loving one another? Do they see us serving one another? looking after not only our, our own interests, but also the interests of others. Do they see that when they look on at us? Is our worship, when we're gathered, contagious? Does anybody look on? Does a, does a lost person walk into our, to our midst and enjoy worship with us and, and see us worshiping? Is there anything different about us? Is it contagious? What about when we're scattered, when we're out there and, and doing life in the day-to-day? Do they see anything different about us? Do they see anything different about our fellowship? If we want what they had, if we want to see a move of God where other people look on and they recognize and they're added to our number day by day, those who are being saved, we want that, it's going to start with a real faith in Jesus, a real recognition of God's power, what he's done, of his grace, the beauty and the power and the majesty of the gospel, and never overlooking that. It's going to, it's going to mean really leaning into those things. And leaning into his power and his grace at work in our lives and living in that power, not just saying we believe in it. It's also going to mean a real devotion to the koinonia, the fellowship of believers. If we want the world to look on, if we want to experience what they're experiencing and also have the world look on and want what we have, it's going to mean a real devotion in us for the fellowship of believers. And not just our best friends that we already showed up to church with. That's what's going to look uncommon to the world. And for many of us, that's going to include or it's going to mean 
some real repentance and some ongoing surrender in our lives. I've had to do this this week. This week, I have been frustrated about things. I have seen myself in competition with other believers, and I have had to repent of that. It may be you right here in this room, and you're recognizing or hearing some of the things we're talking about. You're like, yeah, I haven't experienced that. I haven't contributed to that. You know, maybe I'm part of the issue. You know, for us, for a lot of us in this room, we need to just spend some moments in real repentance. And, and then as we walk out of here, ongoing surrender to the work of God in our lives and really ongoing surrender in the sense of I'm going to devote myself to the church. I'm going to devote myself to the fellowship of believers. Whatever that may look like for you, whatever that's going to be for you, 